This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Zephaniah chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 1 through 8. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations and to assemble kingdoms. To pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. May God bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. And just before we dive into our series uh, a little further into Zephaniah, I would just ask that we take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we recognize your mercy, your love towards us. Lord, we see your hand of care and compassion in so many ways. One of those ways, Lord, is the gift of mothers and fathers and those who have been spiritually inclined in our lives to point us to you. Lord, we pray that we would ever be mindful, Lord, of the goodness that you provide in in all that you do in our lives. Lord, we're mindful that this day is hard for some, and Lord, we pray for them. We pray for encouragement and strengthening. We know, Lord, that there are many who uh, are mourning now and many that are lonely and we just pray that you would comfort them Lord we pray that you would use us your church to be your hands and feet to surround people to love them well God we know that we have been given so much grace and we have been called to be your witnesses to the to the world that rages around us and so Lord I pray that we would be just that that we would be so moved and so touched by the very Word of God, that our lives would be affected, the way we live, how we talk, how we conduct ourselves, 
Lord, that we would be light in a world of darkness, that we could offer the hope of Jesus that we ourselves have been granted, and that, Lord, we would be faithful in being the missionaries you've called each of us to be in our families, in our communities, in our places of work, in our very neighborhoods you've placed us. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would perfect us yet more and more into the image of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be with my words, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but I pray, Lord, that I would be faithful. We pray this now in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. One thing I've learned is that parenting can be hard. What often makes parenting so hard is that those little adorable bundles of joy can be stubborn, disobedient, and even at times downright obstinate. Today is Mother's Day, and today is a day we, we do give thanks for those whom God has given in our lives, those who have helped raise us, those who have steered us towards the Lord. The Apostle Paul reminds a young Timothy of his roots, roots that Timothy was reminded in 2 Timothy. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Paul speaking to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure that dwells in you as well. Friends, faith is a gift. That's what he says in Ephesians 2.8. It's a gift that God grants us, a gift God uses his word as a means to produce in our life, and a word that is often spoken when we are younger by faithful moms and dads. And yet if we're honest, we don't always align with those instructions. We push back. We wander. And we ultimately, at times, even rebel. Friends, that's the story of our text here in Zephaniah 3. God is a loving and perfect parent who's spoken, who's instructed, who's guided his people. He's provided everything they need, and yet they have rebelled. They've resisted. And so God has sent yet his prophet, Zephaniah, to call the people to repentance. He's sent his prophet to remind the people of their need to repent or the justice of God will come down. A justice that is both for Jew and Gentile. A justice that is at his hands because he is God. And yet all the while, he offers for those who repent a salvation, a redemption. He calls this group the believing remnant made up of both Jew and Gentile. And so we come to verse three or chapter 3, and we look at verse 1, and we see the very first word is the word woe. A woe is an oracle of judgment. It's what prophets would use to say, you better be paying attention, you better sit back, you better straighten up, you better be paying very close attention to the Word of God. And yet we're told in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 of the disobedient children. Listen to how this city is described. It's rebellious, it's defiled, it's oppressing. Hearing those words, you might assume that the author, Zephaniah, is referring to one of the previous 
Gentile nations. But no, he's actually talking about the city of Jerusalem, God's own people. He uses the word rebellious to say they're disobedient to the revealed will of God, the the word of God that has been declared to them. They're rebellious to that instruction. They're defiled, they're dirty, they're, they're unclean, they're polluted. And then he uses an interesting word. He says they're oppressing, meaning they're restrictive, they're violent, they're harmful. And yet this is an important word because if you remember, Judah in its past was oppressed by Egypt. They themselves knew what it was to be oppressed. And here now they are oppressing. But who are they oppressing? It's they're oppressing their own brothers and sisters. This city is stubborn. This people is disobedient. They're downright obstinate. In verse 2, we're told that they will not listen to any voice. In verse 2, we're told they will not accept any correction. In verse 2, it goes on to say, She, the city, does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. These descriptions paint a bleak picture. A picture of outright disobedience. One who's rejecting a life that God has given her of blessing and now is in the pursuit of God's judgment and cursing. And so God calls out His rebellious children. His hard-hearted ones. Much like any parent, He's calling them out for their defiance. The city Jerusalem, reminds you, is the center of both their religious worship as much as their civil government. Jerusalem was an important city for Judah. It was the place of the temple. It was the place of worship. It was the place of sacrifice. But it was also the place of the king. It was the place of the ruler. She, a unique city, had the voice of God, the very presence of God in her. This city was filled with the blessing of the temple, with the blessing of the singing of God's praises at worship, with the the praise of, of God that was offered through the sacrifices and the very words of the prophet who came to her. And yet this very city was rebellious in every respect. Her disobedience now brought not blessing, but cursing. One of the things I've been telling you is that Zephaniah refers quite a bit to Deuteronomy. It's a picture of what took place under the king Josiah when the book of the law, the book of Deuteronomy was found, a book which described blessings and cursings, a book that had been forgotten by the people of God in their rebellion under bad kings like Manasseh. And so a book was found, the book of Deuteronomy, the scroll was read, and Josiah repented, and reforms began. But yet we see the hardness of the people's hearts. Deuteronomy 28 gives a sharp warning in verse 45. It says, All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because, notice this, you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commands and his statutes that he commanded you. No, they won't listen to any voice according to verse 2. They won't hear any correction. And they do not trust the Lord. They do not want to draw near to the Lord. That same chapter of Deuteronomy in verse 62 tells us the outcome. 
It says, whereas you were numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Friends, this is a difficult story. It shows the fracturing, in many ways, of a family. This is a story of a blessed city, Jerusalem. And this blessed city had received many warnings by the prophets of God. Yet how easy it was for them to turn from the blessing and choose sin and all that sin brings with it. Judgment and curse. And yet we know the way to prevent this. The way to prevent this is found in verse 2 where they were told to listen to God's word. Where they were told to accept the correction that was given to them. They were instructed to turn to God and to draw near to Him. These are instructions of any good godly parent. How many of us have sat under the instruction of those who spiritually loved us to tell us the importance of hearing and obeying God's Word. To receive the correction from God's Word and to realign our lives, to trust Him, to draw near to God faithfully. But the question for each of us this morning is, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Do we listen? Do we accept correction personally? Do we trust God? Are you seeking to draw near to Him? That's the question for each and every one of us as God's children. For I will remind you, the judgment begins in the house of the Lord. That's the message that has clearly been told to Judah. Judgment doesn't begin out there. Judgment begins in here because God has called us to be His witnesses. But oftentimes, as that city as an example, the problem is inside. Verses 3 through 5 were given a description of the problem. The problem was the woe of the wicked leadership. As we said, it was a city, and the city of Jerusalem was the center of both religion and the civil government. And we're given a listing of four types of leaders officials and judges, prophets and priests, they're all targeted because of their disobedience. The first two are the civil leaders, the officials. They're described as roaring lions. They go around and they are supposed to be doing the work of the king to help administer justice in the land, and yet all they're doing is they're feeding on the people of God, taking whatever they want. The book of Proverbs speaks about such people. Proverbs 28, verse 15 says, They're like a roaring lion or a charging bear with the wicked rule over the people who are poor. The next group is the judges. They're described in our text in verse 3 as the evening wolves, leaving nothing till morning. There's a little bit of a play on words here. Zephaniah understands clearly that the morning was associated as the time of justice, specifically in the book of Proverbs. Yet here, they're described, these judges, as evening wolves, devouring and taking, leaving nothing. The civil leaders were of no good. Both the officials who served the king and the judges who were supposed to dispense justice, they were no good. But the problem wasn't just the civil leaders, the problem was the religious leaders. We're told in verse 4 of the prophets who were fickle, 
They're described as treacherous men. That treachery was because rather than speaking God's word, they spoke their own desires. In the book of Isaiah, we're told that the prophets, the false prophets, would say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They would speak whatever helped them to be promoted or accepted or liked. Treacherous men. But it wasn't just the prophets who were to speak the word of God. It was the priest who was to teach the law and provide the sacraments. And in verse 4, we're told that they profaned what is holy. We're told that they did violence to the law. Instead of seeking holiness, they profaned the holy places. Rather than teaching the law, they violated it themselves and therefore, by their actions, encouraged others to mock that which was sacred. Friends, understand that the problem wasn't out there. The problem wasn't even just those within the city walls. It was the leadership themselves. Both the civil leaders and the religious leaders. And God was well aware. And yet Zephaniah offers an interesting contrast. In verse 5, he gives a contrast describing all of those bad leaders to God. Look at verse 5. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust shows no shame. What a contrast. First of all, notice the fact that God has not utterly abandoned her yet. It says he's within her. And he's faithful while he's there. Well, we may change. God does not change. God is always faithful in showing and telling us what righteousness is and how it's to be lived out. God himself, therefore, is righteousness. God never does evil. God never acts unjustly, but always is full of justice. In fact, in the morning, as a slap in the face to those judges, he shows forth his justice. Each dawn, he does not fail. He administers rightly and perfectly. But look at the end of verse 5. But the unjust knows no shame. The rebellious just keep living any old way. What a comparison. God's faithfulness versus the city and the leaders and their unfaithfulness, their shame, their, their rejection, their sin. In this text, we clearly see these leaders not only disobeyed God, but they led the people of God away from God. This is a message to all of us who are in leadership, whether we're parents or elders or deacons, Sunday school teachers. We have a special responsibility not only to seek after God, but to lead God's people to follow him faithfully. It's a question that we must answer. Am I doing that? Am I doing that? That's the challenge. And God says, let me show you what happens when you don't. In verses 6 and 7, we see that there is a lesson of woe. It's a picture of judgment specifically aimed at the nations. And this is given as a sense of mercy to Judah so they'll wake up and learn from the example. See, I was the youngest of four boys. I was given special seat to see all the discipline in our family. I was given the special privilege to see how all my older brothers were treated when they disobeyed. Did I learn? 
You'll find out later. But Judah was given that special seat as well. So far, they saw Israel, the northern tribe, taken into exile by Assyria in 722. And now, according to Zephaniah 3.6, notice the past tense language, I have cut off the nations. We had read earlier that God would do these things. He already began to do those things, and they saw God at work with his judgment on the nations, a front row seat to see the discipline of the Lord. But what were they going to do with it? They had seen what God had done, but would they learn? The judgment of the nations is used as an example for them. God's saying, shut up and watch. <laughs> Look what I'm doing. Pay attention. Friends, understand that if the nations who did not worship God were judged, how much more would Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, who was given the word of God but rejected that word, be judged? God's judgment is complete in our text. In verse 6, it says, he will cut off the nations. Their, their battlements will be in ruin. In verse 6, he goes on to say, I've laid waste their streets, and no one walks in them. He continues in verse 6, where he says, their cities have been made desolate without man, without inhabitation. Understand, this is a picture of complete judgment, and this picture serves as a warning to Judah to quickly repent. Punishment was administered in a house, and it's ministered in the house not merely for the offender, but also to serve as a warning to all the others who live in that house. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We've experienced that growing up. But the question is, did we learn? Did Judah learn? Look at God's call to them in verse 7. It's almost an expectation. He says in verse 7, Surely you will fear me. Surely you will accept my correction. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say, if you don't, then your dwelling, if you do, you, if you do respect me, then your dwelling won't be cut off. What's the opposite? If you don't respect me, if you don't respond, you will be cut off. See, God delights in seeing sinners repent. It shines the character and the light on God's character. It shows his mercy in such a beautiful way. He's so long-suffering. And some of us in this room, we've had parents who were so long-suffering. We understand when this is pictured here, we can resonate. I understand that not everybody has had that same experience. But for those of us who have, we understand and can see clearly how long-suffering and merciful God is to offer all of this and still the opportunity to repent. Surely you will fear me. Surely you will accept my correction, he says. Church, God in his mercy has given many examples to warn his people. In Judah, he's given them the prophets. To Judah, he's given them the example of Israel and the nations and the punishment on both. He's given them both examples from daily life and the example of his written word, his spoken word. What would they do? Well, what about you and me? What, what do we do? Are we listening? Or are we hard-hearted are we resistant to the very messages we've been given? 
Do we ignore all the warning signs that God provides? I said I would come back to it. Unfortunately, like Judah, I didn't learn my lessons by watching my brothers. Unfortunately, I had to learn the hard way in many cases. And I had good parents who continually instructed me and disciplined me because they wanted me to walk in the way of the Lord. Friends, when mercy is ignored, it's dangerous. Look at verses, the end of verse 7. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. All the more. In light of everything else God has done, all the more they were seeking and pursuing corruption. Judah, they paid no attention to God's word. And Judah paid no attention to God's actions. They ignored his mercy altogether. What foolishness. Can we say that this morning? What foolishness. But it's not just foolish for Judah, and it's not just foolish for Aaron. It's foolish for you as well to ignore the mercy of God. See, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. That's what Hebrews 12, 6 says. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, get this, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Discipline is a good thing. And godly parents discipline us because they love us. Seeking our repentance, seeking us to turn from sin. Listen to what Proverbs says, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Or how about Proverbs 29, 17? Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Now, some of us say, but that wasn't my experience. <laughs> well, apparently that wasn't the experience of Judah here in our text is either. These are principles. But the matter is that there is a remnant that do listen. There is a remnant that respond. There is a remnant that honor and turn. And we're told, therefore, in verse 8, the beginning, wait. Wait for me, declares the Lord. Interesting enough, this wait here isn't a long wait. It's going to be a short wait. Because ultimately, judgment is going to come. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. This wasn't a long wait. God did, in fact, pour out his fury he poured out his fury on disobedient people. God, in fact, did use the Gentile nations, the nations here that he gathers to do this. He uses them to punish his covenant people. We shouldn't be surprised today that God uses the nations to correct his church. He used Assyria to exile Israel. He's going to use Babylon in 586, just a, a few short years, to punish Judah. God is showing his complete and absolute sovereignty over all the nations. And as a godly parent, he's using all their resources to punish sin. Hear that. 
A godly parent uses all their resources to punish sin. They they exhaust themselves in leading their children towards righteousness. They seek to save the soul. Note the words in verse 8, For the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. The point is simple. Wait and see. He's saying don't doubt. Trust the Lord. Uh, the famous line I used to hear when I would wait till your father comes home. <laughs> that idea of, of judgment. See, the judgment is important. And Judah would learn. Judah would learn the hard way. And judgment, as I said, would come in 586 and it would come again in 70 A.D., but these were just examples of the final judgment that is to come. A picture of what Jesus received on the cross, where he received the very wrath of God poured out for sin. A wrath of God poured out for sin for those who believed in him so that we don't have to receive it. He went to the cross to receive it. Friends, imagine the wrath that awaits those who reject Christ. Imagine the wrath of those who still live in rebellion to the truth of God's word. Friends, the question is before all of us this morning. These questions come from verse 2. The questions are simple. Are you listening to God's word? I don't mean hearing it. I mean really listening. Are you accepting the correction that God's word gives you in your life? That his word is supreme even over our opinions or preferences? Are you trusting the Lord even in the face of hardship? Are you drawing near to him? These are the questions that we each must answer. These are the questions that are before us, which judges our own hearts and how we're responding to the correction of the Lord. In Acts chapter 16, we see eventually how the gospel reaches the Gentile nations. And there in chapter 16, verse 31, we're given this famous line, believe in the Lord and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Obey the Lord, and you will be saved. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. It says, you and your household. That's not a direct one-for-one that if one person is saved, their whole household gets to go to heaven. That's not what the text means. But it does picture very strongly the covenant relationship of how households are affected by the repentant how households are transformed and God uses the believing parents and believing brothers and sisters within a household to correct, to instruct, to lean on. How many of us came from places where our families were not followers of Christ and we saw how the gospel permeated through that family and changed all of us? Oh, the goodness and the mercy of God is displayed. But how will we respond? How will we respond? That's the question for each of us. How will I respond? Let's pray.
Father, as we come and close now, we are thankful, Lord, for the reproof, for the correction, for the instruction in righteousness you give us. We thank you for the comparison of you with all the other types of leaders in the world. Whether they be civil or even religious, no one measures up to you. For you and you alone are perfect. So God, may we bow a knee to you. May we hear you this morning. May we surrender to you. May we hear your correction and receive it and apply it. May we truly trust in you and may we draw near to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.